Welcome to the ninth episode of Making a Racket. I am Nathan Lee here with Sean Doherty. Today we're going to talk about the Wimbledon Championships. Novak Djokovic and Ash Barty, the champions. Barty with her second major title, but most notably Novak Djokovic, his 20th major title. His third straight Wimbledon title. Now he is finally tied with Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal at the top of the Grand Slam list at 20. And we, I think, you know, those of us that watched figured this achievement would come, but we weren't sure when, and then there were setbacks, and now it is finally here. He now has a chance at the U.S. Open to pull off the Grand Slam, which has not been pulled off since 1969 in men's singles. And he also, if he were to win the gold medal and then win the U.S. Open, would be the first man ever to win the Golden Slam, all four slams, and the Olympics. It is one thing Djokovic is missing is that Olympic gold medal. Really, the only thing he's missing from his resume. Every Grand Slam, every Masters 1000, and multiple ATP Finals titles. And both of us, both you and I, Sean, we had, we had Djokovic as like the easy favorite. And we weren't proven wrong. No, no, it was exactly what we thought. And anyone that betted on him to win Wimbledon made a good decision because my goodness, what a dominant, what a dominant performance in tournament. He lost two sets all tournament. And the first one, and I, and I had a lot of joy watching the first one he lost. I didn't have a lot of joy watching the next three sets, but lost the first one to Jack Draper, the young wild card out of Great Britain. And then he did not lose a set until the first round of the final against Matteo Berrettini. And I got to say, Berrettini played really, really well. And Djokovic probably, in some ways, Djokovic may be thinking like, man, I could have put him away earlier. I should have put him away earlier. Because, I mean, Berrettini did not go away. And you got to give him credit there. But in the end, it just felt like the same thing in the semi. And I, I want you to kind of elaborate on this and give me your thoughts. Like it just seemed like Djokovic was just too much. Yeah. I mean, Shapovalov played a great match. The, even with the score, it was close, but the points were even closer in the match and Shapovalov had chances in the first to close it out on his serve and Novak did Novak things and came back and won that game off of that 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 game in particular, I think it was um Shabal was serving five four and that game had a lot of momentum swings. I think I think I think Shabavov double faulted the first or second point, uh ended up getting down love thirty, um gets it back to thirty all and and has an easy put away forehand and just hits it long and that seemed to take away all his momentum for that set particularly. And he also had some mental fortitude. He, he stayed in the match and made it competitive and didn't let Djokovic have an easy one. Yeah. And I, it, when you look at that match, it, it felt like as soon as that point happened, it was like, okay, well, Djokovic is going to win. It, 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 it was like instantly it's like, well, that's it. I mean, that's the, the moment you could feel the momentum go away. 
And even with Shapovala forcing the breaker, it was just like, well, what more are you going to give? You still, it, it felt like he, Shapovalov couldn't have played any better. That second set, he was serving love games against Djokovic. He couldn't really be stopped on his serve until his final service game. Mm-hmm. And then at, at, at five all, and then suddenly, there you go. Djokovic held to win the set, and then we go from there. Yeah, and it did feel that way against Berrettini a little bit, even though Berrettini did at least get a set. Berrettini actually came back from a breakdown in the first set and managed to not only force a tiebreak, then play a fantastic tiebreak to win it. In the second set, he was down a double break, got one of those breaks back, and you're thinking, okay, he's really making this a match. And you got to give a lot of credit to Berrettini. And what I hope for 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 Matteo Berrettini is that he doesn't get discouraged by this because he played about as well as he could have in so many moments and Djokovic just shut the door anyway. That's that's what I think is, shows how great Novak Djokovic is. Yeah. The only guys that have really been able to stop him are obviously Nadal, obviously Roger Federer, Andy Murray. Stan been able to Stan Wawrinka, right? But I was going to say, these guys have to apparently play perfect matches. They have to play aggressive matches and they can't miss, apparently. Apparently, if you miss, you, well, you had like three unforced errors in the third set. So you literally, you just cannot miss. And that's the times that Stan Wawrinka has beaten him is when he's playing aggressive and not missing. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's hard. And he's always, and he's been there really the last ten years. He's been the guy you've had to beat. You know, Murray in two of his three major finals had to beat Djokovic. Warinka in two of his three major finals had to beat Djokovic. He's always been the guy in the way. Federer has not always had to play them in a final, but has had to beat him in a couple of matches to get his majors. I think the the first one he got, you know, 2012 Wimbledon when he was starting to maybe finally get back there, got back up number one in the world. I think he had to beat Djokovic in semis. So he's always had to be in the way. And then Nadal has even had to get past Djokovic. It feels like everyone has had, it's been Djokovic number one and everyone else has just had to figure out a way to get past him. Nadal has done it the easiest, mostly because, you know, of the clay, how how good he is on that surface. He's still been the most dominant clay court player by far. But, I mean, the other guys, it's like, yeah, you have to play a perfect match. And it feels like it doesn't matter if you play every other game perfectly. If you play one bad game, you're done. He is the purest form of dominance. And a lot comes from the fact that you can't break him mentally. The crowd can't even break him mentally. He just is probably, no, I'm not even going to say probably. He is the most mentally sound player ever, maybe in any sport. And, and that's, a, that's a debate to have. Tennis players, I think, would maybe have the upper hand on that because you're pretty much alone. You know, Nadal, we think about his mental toughness too. But even he doesn't quite have the toughness. It's nothing on Nadal. It's just Djokovic is a little bit better. And you watch Djokovic and it just doesn't feel like he cracks. 
He's lost the first set now in the last two. Obviously, in the French, he was even down two sets to love. It feels like once he just gets his teeth into the match a little bit, feels like once the other guy cracks just a little bit, you're done. You don't, you don't have a chance to come back. You, you pretty much just you give it to him. And, I mean, it's got to be hard on the last two. I mean, he's now beaten Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and Berrettini in his last three major championships. Medvedev, he pretty much routed. Tsitsipas, obviously, yeah, as I said, was up two sets to love. Berrettini won the first set and played extremely well. He's really, I mean, in many ways, I would say he's almost demoralized. Three guys in a row now. I kind of wonder, who's the fourth guy going to be, you know? Like, who, who's he actually going to beat this time? <laughs> who knows? Maybe it's Zverev. Uh, if Zverev lost two years in a row, I think that would just be... <laughs> I, I No. Just no. I mean, you do... I mean, he's really beaten in many ways, though. Three of the guys that have shown a lot of, the ne- of, of what's coming next. Zverev is the other one of the younger guys. Team is a little bit older. Court's team is the defending U.S. Open champion. Zverev made it to the final there. But Zverev has had, it feels like he's always had a tendency to choke in the biggest moments. Mm-hmm. So I really look at the guys like Sitsipas and Medvedev, especially Berrettini, he's kind of always outside that as guys are like, okay, we, we will lead the next generation. And he's just taking them all out. And it does make you wonder if when... Because they probably will, barring something crazy. Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Berrettini, all those guys. Even Zverev. When they start winning major titles, it's, I feel like it'll always be like they will never be as good. It feels like they'll be chasing this un, unattainable thing. And that gets into what you told me. Is all these records? They will feel unreachable. And Just explain that a little yeah, bit. I, yeah, I mean... Let's uh, hypothetically, let's say Djokovic does win the U.S. Open. It'll be at 21 majors. And it doesn't seem like he's anywhere close to not winning more. Maybe even Nadal wins some more. Um, How can you look at that as a youthful tennis player and think, oh, I can reach that? Because you have these three dominant performers. Um, playing against each other for years and their levels have just improved as the years have gone on. So as, as a young tennis player, you, you wouldn't set your goal, your original goal at 10 majors. That's like a career worth of majors. If you reach that, you've had a very successful career, yet you're still 10 away from Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. It's just in the records they have combined. I mean, they basically have every single record. It's just, it seems so daunting to face such a, such a wave of dominance. Think of it this way. Not ju- it's not just the 20 majors. It's not just if Djokovic wins, we'll say for the purposes of this argument, what, 25? Sure. Nadal wins 22. 23. Mm-hmm. Maybe Fed sneaks in one. Maybe. That's a big maybe. <laughs> we, I mean, it, it really could be his last Wimbledon match, but, I, and, you know, a lot of people talked about that. We can lay off that for now and just try to appreciate what, what is left of his career. But 
Djokovic has the most Aussies with nine. Nadal has the most French Opens at 13. Federer has the most Wimbledons with eight. The only one that the only one that sounds somewhat in, not really attainable. There's still records for a reason, but yeah, you know the U.S. Open, Connors, uh, Jimmy Connors, Pete Sampras, Roger Federer, all with five. But in any, in some way, they all have the records. All the the big three hold the records at these tournaments. I mean, I and you look at the ATP Finals. Number one is Fed with six. Djokovic is right behind him with five. Nadal oddly has not won one yet, but. That that goes into a whole different conversation, but um, you could probably look at a lot of the Masters 1000s, especially the clay ones. Actually, I know the clay ones, and Nadal's got all those records. Mm-hmm. So, and it seems like that they're they're immortal in a way. And I feel like the guys, I feel like it should really make us look at the guys who played in this era and still found a way. Murray, especially Andy Murray, right. You know, who's got three major titles. He actually does hold one interesting record. He's got two Olympic gold medals. That's that's one <laughs> record that I I don't know if I don't think any of the big three are gonna break. No. Um and he did manage to get to number one in the world. And since Federer was the year in number one back in two thousand four, he's the only guy that's not a big three. One of the big three to be the year in number one. He's the only one that actually broke through in that sense. It's one thing to break through at one major, which is impressive enough. And only a few guys have done that. But Murray actually went an entire year through the computer and managed to pull off being the year in number one in a year where Djokovic won two of the majors. In a year where Djokovic, we thought he was just going to run through the entire thing. Murray managed to pull that off. So credit credit to him. Walrinka also winning three majors. Let let's go into the the Olympics. Who do you think, based on what we've seen, is the biggest challenger to Djokovic? I, I don't see any of the younger players beating him. Do you think like a Medvedev? No. He plays well like he did a couple of years ago. Do you think he can pull that off? I mean, but even after saw. Novak's all of his post match interviews, he just his fire seems continuously lit right now. The only person that's going to stop Novak is Novak in his mind. I I don't think anyone can physically beat him right now. Mm-hmm. But well, uh, no, I, I no, I, every scenario I think of, it's just Novak winning. Maybe the crowd, maybe the crowd not being there to antagonize him. Maybe it's a little harder for him to generate a fire for a comeback win or something, but I just don't see him losing. Yeah, and I I keep thinking about it. I think maybe if he looks ahead to the U.S. Open, I mean, I, I guess I could say, you know, Medvedev could pull it off. I think Sitsipas can pull it off. I know he lost first round at Wimbledon. I know that's definitely not good. I think and it's I just, a small letdown. Sorry. It's a weird surface. I just had a thought. Is these are this is the first Olympics for these young players. Twenty sixteen, these players weren't in the Olympics. Maybe a few when they were really young, but so we've I never actually right. seen these players play in the Olympics, at least not at the level that they are now. So, so now thinking of that, how meaningful are the Olympics for these players? Without the experience, I don't know how much they know 
how much they're driven by their own country and bringing pride to their country. That That's true. You do see a lot of interesting results at the Olympics. And I'm looking at 2016, but I'm looking at, and I, and I think about earlier too, you know, in 04, I don't think it was, I, it wasn't really that Fed wasn't driven. I just think it was an upset. You know, in 04, Fed lost in the second round to Thomas Burdich. And the final ended up being Nicholas Massou and Marty Fish. And neither <laughs> of those guys, I don't think, have actually, they may have made it to a Grand Slam quarterfinal. They haven't made it past that. So, you know, you have stuff like that. Actually, the semis last year, or, or the last time, are made a lot of sense, mostly because Del Potro actually, that was like one of his first tournaments back, and he beat Djokovic first round and managed to make it all the way to the gold medal <laughs> match. Then you have Nadal, you have Nishikori, who was at the top of his game at the time. You have Andy Murray that went on to win it. But then, yeah, you have the Thomas Bellucci making the quarters, uh, which was nice nice for the home crowd in Rio. You have, you have Steve Johnson making it, which actually isn't as weird as it sounds <laughs> now. But, um, yeah, you, you have some very odd results happen at the Olympics and and I do wonder how how these young guys will take it because you're right I, I'm thinking well man didn't like one of them play nope, nope. no they didn't do it um, I would have thought Zverev might have but uh, he didn't either so actually what I will say about the Olympics so two out of three is a different animal and not 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 like not in the not in a way that benefits Djokovic I think somebody can get two sets on Djokovic. I do. I think somebody can get hot and get it going. I think Djokovic could definitely lose that. I think just somebody getting hot, like a Medvedev, mm-hmm. like a Tsitsipas, Berrettini even, Zverev, anybody really could find a way hold off. But we'll see what happens. And it also, the, sorry, one last point. It also could go to the fact that Novak may see the value of the Olympics versus the U.S. Open as very different tasks and you may not want to expend a ton of energy at the Olympics. Yeah, I think you may be right there. And I wonder, I do wonder how much that plays in his mind versus the U S open, but we will see the Olympics not very far away. Hope everyone ends up being safe there. Of course, not no fans there. And that's, that's going to be a little bit hard to watch. Um, it's, it's the right decision. If, if they're going to have it, it's the right decision, but that that's going to be hard to watch, not just for tennis, really just in general, you know, the, the swimming and gymnastics. And I mean, that's, I can't, I can't really imagine that the same way. It's just going to feel dead. Yeah. I think for the tennis players specifically, it's really going to feel dead. Feels like a qualifying match. Mm Mm-hmm. No, well, it's going to feel, it's like they finally gotten to the point where they're having fans and then just back down. It's, it's like a whiplash type thing. Also, what I'm thinking of now is like the Olympic trials had a lot of fans, right? Yeah. At least in the States. Yeah. That's going to be such a different experience for them. And like, you can't bring everyone you want to with you. Like Serena, that's one of her whole reasons is not going. She can't bring her kid. Well, there you go. Of course, of course, her knee injury now is another issue. But sure. but yes, <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> before that happened, yeah, that that was a big deal. 
When we come back, we're going to get into Ash Barty winning. Ash Barty winning her second major title. She's now been number one for over a year. What's ahead for her? Also, what's ahead for Naomi Osaka? She'll come back for the Olympics. She's the odds maker's favorite to win the U.S. Open. She hasn't played. She barely played the French. She didn't play Wimbledon. Let's see how she comes back. Let's hope she comes back all right. Well, we recorded this before we got the news that Roger Federer withdrew from the Olympics and we didn't really talk about him. Actually, I don't think we talked about him at all with regards to the Olympics, but man, I I really hope I hope that we do get to see him in another Olympics, although man, that's three years away. I mean, that's that's kind of that's kind of crazy. I mean, I didn't even think he'd get really to this point to where he was still playing during 2020 or even 2021. I mean, I was thinking, man, if he was still there at 16, that'd be crazy. But, um, you know, Federer not playing the Olympics, he said, uh, knee problem, came back and just can't do it. I hope he gets to retire on his own terms, and he will, but... I'd like to see him make one more deep run. I hope that Wimbledon wasn't his last, and hopefully we see more. Welcome to the ninth episode of Making a Racket. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Making a Racket 3. Sean, we we just saw Ash Barty win. She only lost two sets in her own, right? Um, lost and did it kind of similar to Djokovic, but a little different. Lost the second set in her first round and lost the second set in the final. And mm-hmm. pretty much did all right the rest of the way. Of course, as, as you mentioned, uh, some of the commentators said, uh, she's not being dominant enough. Well, whatever. Look at the scoreline. Look at and, and look at the trophy in her hand. I don't think she really gives a damn. But we're now seeing Ash Barty win her second major title. She's been number one in the world now for over a year. And a lot of that had to do with the COVID stuff. She didn't even really play in 2020. But in 2021, she's made up for it. She's really been the best player all year. Um, winning four titles now. It's her fourth title. She also won Miami. She also won Stuttgart. And she won a 500. Uh, earlier in the year. Um, her slice is a very different thing for the the women to deal with, uh, especially Pliskova. And you pointed this out to me, and I didn't think of it, that, I mean, you know, she <laughs> Pliskova just, it, it's such a bad matchup. And sure enough, it was. And how Pliskova actually managed to win that second set, I don't know, even though I watched this, it, just she redlined. But, Barty has been good on all surfaces now. What do you think the prospects are for her going into going into the Olympics, going into the U.S. Open, and really going into the rest of the year and the rest of her career, really? Now that we've seen the talent, now that we've seen her capitalize on it, how good do you think she can be? If I'm, if I'm truly trying to predict how good she'll be in terms of majors... I feel like she's going to win around eight to 10 majors. 
I feel like she doesn't have, well, Serena is the greatest of all time. So it's hard to compare people to Serena because she was just so dominant. But, and Barty doesn't have huge weapons. She has finesse. She surprisingly has really good power on her forehand, which is kind of cool to see because she's not a tall player. So her serve's not super powerful. She's got great hands at the net. And I think hearing her have a hip issue is kind of concerning, but obviously it didn't affect her that much because she won Wimbledon right after. Uh, so I, I think around eight to 10 majors is her, her peak in my opinion. All right. Um, I think I like that. I think with regards to the hardcore majors, you're going to favor Osaka based on what we've seen. But Osaka still has not completely found a way on the clay and the grass yet. I actually do think she will, especially on the clay. I kind of forget that in 2019, she actually had some of her better results there on that surface. So I do think she'll figure that out. But for now, yeah, Barty is probably always going to be your French Open favorite, your Wimbledon favorite. Um, I may have mentioned this earlier. The odds makers have Osaka number one, but then they have Barty around number two or number three. I feel like she's the most consistent, with, with the exception of Simona Halep, and I hope she comes back okay. She tore her calf, had to miss Wimbledon, had to miss the French Open and Wimbledon. Um, Barty seems to be the most consistent player on the tour. Would you agree with that? Yes. You've got somebody who really seems to go deeper in a lot of tournaments, not just somebody who just shows up. She's seen, she has a game that can pretty much win anywhere and is just hard for people to deal with. So I agree with that. Probably eight to 10 majors. Um, the the good thing actually about this one is um I noticed it, you noticed it when we did the preview. She had a very tough quarter and she ended up having to play a lot of those people that we thought were tough. She ended up having to really go through that. Um the French Open I looked at, she only played one seeded player when she won that tournament, and it was Madison Keys when she won it in twenty nineteen. She played she and and actually, they're typically not as bad as, as the men. But she did play five Americans in the French Open, and I feel like that's just a bad combination. I feel like there, <laughs> there's just something about that that makes you go, hmm, who did she really have to play? But she she did well there. And here at Wimbledon, though, she really had to go through that tough draw, and she pulled it off after the hip injury at the French. After... After we're kind of even wondering, even though I picked her to win, even though you picked her to go, even you, though I think you picked her to do well, like how, I mean, how good can she really do? Like, I mean, can she really overcome that? And, and that's where I give her a lot of credit. Let's go to Osaka though. Naomi Osaka. She missed Wimbledon. She pulled out of the French. Um, Talked about she has had has had dealt with or <laughs> she has dealt with depression. She did not want to do press conferences at the French. Um after the first one she was fine. The French Tennis Federation and all the Grand Slams really said, you know, we'll keep finding you. We may even default you. You know, all that stuff happened. 
She ended up pulling out of the French Open, later decided to pull out of Wimbledon, and all, all the, the storm that was created around that, where we kind of realized, one, we realized, oh boy, we may have, may have stepped too far. We may have really screwed up. We got to rethink maybe how we do this. Now she's going to come back for the Olympics, so a lot of pressure in her home country of Japan. She's going to have to, she's going to represent that. Although in front of no fans, that'll be an interesting wrinkle, but then she'll have to come back for, we, we assume she'll be back for the U.S. Open. How good do you think Osaka can, how, how do you think she'll do at the Olympics in, her fir, in what I believe will be her first tournament back? Personally, I'm shocked that she even wants to play in the Olympics. With all the stress about the COVID outbreaks over in Japan and their um, failure to secure vaccinations for their people, um, I'm just, and just the pushback from citizens not wanting the Olympics to happen there. I watched a video of one of a Japanese citizen shooting a water gun at the torch as it's passing by, trying to put it out to protest the Olympics. So I, especially with her mental health issues, I'm just shocked she's playing it. And I, I don't know how she's going to do because I don't know what mental state she's in. Only she knows what mental state she's in right now. And I just can't predict how she's feeling. The ultimate wild card, the, the brain. Um, there is a lot of pressure there. Um, and, and you're right. And I didn't even think about that being also the pressure too, you know, kind of also goes into a conversation about should the Olympics be happening when the people there that don't want it, we know why it's happening. And, and they decided not to let fans in to not have that headache at least. But, um, but, but in the end it's because they know they got to get a lot of money from TV and they, they've got to make that money back. And they, they have to not lose as much as they would if there was no Olympics. That That's the truth. It's not about right. how the fans, it's not about how anyone feels. It's only about the money. But that's everything. Which is sad. <laughs> well, it's it's something that it, ma- it makes you look at a lot of things differently. And it does make you kind of cynical when you realize that. That maybe is something to talk about another day. What what I see with Osaka though, I, I'm pretty much there too. And I and I kind of wanted to make a prediction. I'm glad you said that. You kind of relieved me of maybe having to make one. It's like, how can you make? How, how can you try to predict anything like that? We don't know how she's gonna do. We don't know. We don't know if maybe that will maybe it will help her not. Um, Maybe maybe being a little quieter, although the press will still be there. So we'll see how. Do you want to see how she handles that? How she decides to handle that? Um, what she thinks is best to do. You know, she she did mention. Um, she's actually uh, just released a Barbie doll, so she's been on social media for for a bit. Let me let me pull this up. She she wrote an article for Time Magazine. Uh, a little less than a week ago. And she talks about kind of everything that's happened. And she mentions that it's never been about the press. It's about, it's pretty much been more about the, the format of the press conference. She's actually, she, she mentioned she has an amazing relationship with the media. Uh, she 
quote had has a quote I have always enjoyed an amazing relationship with the media and have given numerous in-depth one-on-one interviews end quote but of course we know she's not media trained we know about years ago all that stuff quote perhaps we should give athletes the right to take a mental break from media scrutiny on a rare occasion without being subject to strict sanctions in any other line of work you would be forgiven for taking a personal day here and there so long as it's not habitual You wouldn't have to divulge your most personal symptoms to your employer. There would likely be HR measures protecting at least some level of privacy. She goes on to say, quote, my number one suggestion would be to allow a small number of sick days per year where you're excused from your press commitments without having to disclose, excuse me, without having to disclose your personal reasons. I believe this would bring sport in line with the rest of society. What do you think? What do you think about that? And do you think do you think that shows she may end up doing these press conferences? And do you think this is something that we should really take into account? Because, I mean, that, on, on that level, we were talking like maybe they that there shouldn't be a choice. Or, or, excuse me, that if the players don't want to do it, they shouldn't have to do it. Why, why is this a commitment? But even in her words, she's pretty much saying, well, yeah, you should do it. You shouldn't skip work all the time, but you can take a sick day, right? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Hearing that, I mean, I, I haven't heard that before um, till now, and that shows me that she is trying to compromise. And it also, this is such speculation, but maybe she was such in such a dark place back at the French Open that she couldn't physically think of compromise, and so now taking off tennis for a little while has helped her develop statements like that and determine. Well, yeah, I can't just completely get rid of press conferences because that's how a lot of people make their money or how the sport keeps going. Um, and I think that's a good statement because she's also not backing down on her position, totally backing down on her position. And so that seems to be positive to me. So maybe she's finding, maybe she's getting back into a better place. She did also in the same article before before she said that. Um, she pretty much, she said in, in her opinion, quote, the press conference format itself is out of date and in great need of a refresh. Well, never mind. I missed that part. Well, well, no, no. I mean, it, no, you're good. I mean, I think what I think, though, is I, th- I think you're actually on the right track there. I think it's kind of like, well, okay, I think this is, Totally outdated anyway, but do, I mean, if I want to take a day off of, if I, if I want to say, and uh, no, I can't really, I don't really feel like doing that today. There's some, there is some level of privacy that I want. And, and as, and that, that, this gets into a debate of, you know, about public figures versus private citizens and how much privacy should a public figure be able to have. But, you know, it's like, okay, do I have to really divulge every single thing or can I say, hey, I I can't do this? I actually, I after reading that, I think, well, hey, to me, her suggestions are not even crazy. And I, and I do actually, I like what you said, because yes, I do think it shows that she sat down and she's looked at it and she's really 
She's offering suggestions. She's not running away from the problem. She actually has offered a solution to fix the problem. What more what more do you want? What yeah. more do what more do we want? And that's that's something we have to to think about, you know, and, and there's been a lot of Olympic controversy lately, especially with regards to and it and it does seem and I don't I don't actually think it's all been because they're black women, but you've seen a few interesting cases. You know, Shikari Richardson, obviously noble when she tested positive for marijuana, meaning all of her Olympic trials results went out the window. She could have been chosen for the four by one hundred team anyway, because her suspension would be would be up by that point. She didn't she was not chosen. You also have Afina who is basically like swimming's governing body, not allow swim caps that are designed for for black hair, and you have that that issue uh, come up. It's like, well, why didn't you allow it? And I frankly, I read the explanation. I thought it was a bunch of crap, and I I didn't I didn't really see any any reason. <laughs> I was thinking, well, maybe there's a legitimate reason here, and I I didn't I didn't read one. You can read it. I'll put it in the description, but I I, di- I didn't really get it. So there's been a lot of controversy around these Olympics. The only reason I even have any level of support for these Olympics is the fact is what these athletes have gone through. You know, we have we have two from our hometown going to the Olympics this year. I, I can't imagine if the Olympics didn't happen, how how it would really hurt. I mean, life goes on, but at the same time, like I can't imagine them going, what, there's no Olympics? You know, that's what they've been working towards. Mm-hmm. But um, that's why I am glad, in, in a weird way, I'm glad there's no fans, but it is going to be hard to watch. Any, any last thoughts? And I kind of went all the way around. I didn't really have a coherent, completely on-topic on thing, but any last thoughts on Osaka, the Olympics, any of those? No, it's just kind of kind of a mess and that is the other side of the coin while for the government of japan at least it might a lot of it might be for money to make back on losses um but then the other side is the athletes who had it canceled last year who had worked so hard last year and now this year if it gets canceled again like you said it would just be heartbreaking it's it's a loose loose situation regardless of what happens and with that we are done with the ninth episode of making a racket make sure you subscribe to us on apple podcast spotify wherever you get your podcast follow us on twitter at making a racket three follow us on instagram at making a racket three make sure you also subscribe to flags and fouls the last episode of flags and fouls is coming next week Roughly Wednesday through Friday. We don't even really know when. We're going to figure it out. We, we've gone off the rails with that schedule. We've gone off the rails with this schedule. I don't even know the last <laughs> time we posted on a Tuesday. I, when, it's probably been like a month it's been it, a while. since we've done it on Tuesday. <laughs> since, since we've actually done this correctly, you know? It's been a long while. It's been a long while since we've been on schedule. But really, as we both get into... We're, we're, you know, you're ready to go back to AM, Sean. I'm ready to go back to tech, ready to have a much more normal year. Um, at least, hopefully, a more normal year. <sighs> Hope and, so. Um, and we'll see. And, you know, we've gotten through a whole, we'll, we'll be through a whole season of flags and fouls. We've gotten through most of a season of this. 
I want to see what we can do with it now. You know, we haven't made a dime off of this. We haven't haven't exactly allowed people to do so. Nope. Not not easily, at least. So I want to see how that goes. We'll we'll see. Everybody, just stay tuned, and we'll we'll figure it out, or we won't. I don't know. <laughs> so that's it, guys, for making a racket. Subscribe, tell your friends, and we're out.